This episode of Sword and Laser is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code SWORD at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Welcome to the Sword and Laser, episode number 188. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Veronica, we've become unstuck in time. We have? What do you yeah, mean? because we started this episode in the past, and it's not going to start for people listening until the future, um, but we're all here now. It's very timey-wimey. It, I was very, just going to say, it's very timey-wimey, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's wibbly, it's wobbly. Uh, yeah, we did an episode at Dragon Con over the weekend where we interviewed the fabulous Naomi Novik, not realizing that we would do this part of the episode now. So we introduce the episode and do what are we drinking later in this episode? It's all, it's, it's all out of sorts. It's all very confusing, but let's, let's get a few things out of the way first. Um, let's see. First of all, a moment of silence for the dead space geckos. Oh, right. I heard about that. I, that said, is... I said a moment of silence. Yeah, but I... Oh. No, that's, it's starting Wait. now. A moment of silence. Okay. Long live space geckos. Okay. <sighs> we will not forget your sacrifice. Curse you, Russia! Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, yes. So uh, we are going to, of course, play the interview with Naomi Novik uh, that we did at DragonCon, which was fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Mm-hmm. Then we'll come back uh, from that time to this time line and talk about our thoughts from dragon con and then we'll wrap up patrick rothfuss's name of the wind absolutely that sounds like a fantastic idea you know who's making all of that possible because time travel is expensive yes it is extremely expensive so we want to thank squarespace they are an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio and online store but they also enable time travel oh for, for us i didn't know that yeah, that's how we were able to do all of this um, alternate timeline stuff. It's a special tier. Um, they don't give it to everybody, but uh, but you have to get started if you ever want to work your way up to it. I'm just saying. <laughs> start a website. It's, it's, okay, gotcha. That's what I'm saying. I'm that's, saying that's start a website. That's how the whole thing starts. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So uh, to start a website, you might think, well, that, honestly, Tom, forget time travel. That sounds expensive. It's not. You can get a free trial. Do you know how much that costs? No, how much? Nothing. It's free. Oh, that's what free means. Yeah, free means right. you don't have to pay anything. In fact, all you got to you don't even give them a credit card. It's not one of those like give me a credit card and then I'll charge you later after you forget. No, it's not like that. Uh, it's a free trial. It's ten percent off. It's Squarespace.com. And if you're like, yeah, but what people use Squarespace.com? How do I know that this is what I want to use for my website? Well, we use it. We do, yes. The Sword and Laser, SwordandLaser.com is built completely on Squarespace and it has been for years. It's uh, drag and drop content, 24-7 support when you need it. You don't need it that often, I'll be honest. Uh, Beautiful design. That's why I like it because I'm all thumbs when it comes to design. But you just choose one of the Squarespace templates, do a little uh, customization, you know, mm-hmm. put your name in there, and then you've got an award-winning design on your freaking website. An award-winning design for an award-winning podcast. Yeah, if you're us, <laughs> for instance, you could be an award-winning something someday, so you need an award-winning website. Uh, go to squarespace.com, 
Try it out for free. All you need is an email address. And then when you decide to keep it, enter the offer code SWORD at checkout. Because you don't want the web to be bad. Do, nope. do you? No. And a better web starts with your website. Don't, don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. Go to squarespace.com. All right. Well, let's jump into our second show introduction of the day with our interview at DragonCon with Naomi Novik. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser, episode number 188. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And we're here at DragonCon 2014. <laughs> We have a fantastic live audience here in the Crystal Ballroom over at the Hilton, and I am just thrilled to see many returning faces here from the many years that we've done a live panel at DragonCon. Even some sword and laser t-shirts in the audience. Yes, thank thank you. you. I'm particularly Uh, pleased to see that. Yeah, it's awesome. No, this is a a great crowd. We love coming to DragonCon, and we have a fantastic guest with us today. Yes, I am super excited about this because if you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge fan of her work. Naomi Novik is here to join us today. Big round of applause. She is, of course, the author of the Temeraire Temeraire series. Sorry, I'm getting all tongue-tied because of beer and excitement. Um, The author of the Temeraire series, which starts with His Majesty's Dragon, and uh, eight books now. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Blood of Tyrants, um, which is the eighth one, just came out in mass market. And number nine is due out next year? Yes. (laughs) She said. That's awesome. I'm I'm 40,000 words in. We'll see if I make it in on deadline. That's awesome. Are you guys big Temeraire fans? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your your history. Well, no, you're right. What are we drinking? Yes, because this is our first author guest to join us on What Are We Drinking in person. I think that is right. I think that is true. Um, I'm deeply honored. So I'm... Enjoying this beer. So tell us, tell us about your beer. I am drinking Hap and Harry's Original Tennessee Ale, which mm. is very nice. It looks very fancy. Yes, it's got a, all shiny. Yes. <laughs> we have some Hap and Harry's fans. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did you make her beer for her? No. Okay, it's not a not a local. Pro- okay, gotcha. What are you drinking, Tom? I've got uh, Dos Perros Ale from Yazoo Brewery. Uh, it's it's an ale, and it's a good ale, and it's got doggies on the cover. It so. does have doggies. And I felt like because it is Labor Day weekend, uh, I feel I'm feeling a little bit like it's time for a seasonal beer for the fall. So I went with uh, Pumpkin Ale from Blackstone Brewing Company, and it is quite delicious. Uh, another woo? <laughs> All right. Thank you. So thank you very much for bringing us beers today. That was very generous of you. And uh, yeah, nothing like a cool beer at 2.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> That's kind of late for DragonCon, to be honest. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It was, it was, I hope this is not embarrassing, but we asked Naomi, like, would you like a beer or not? And she's like, no. And then she saw her, the calculation, yes, actually, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I feel like it's not too early to start drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so as I mentioned, we have, uh, we've got some questions from the audience coming. We have some questions from our forum members over on goodreads.com. So why don't we just kick things off? Sure. Uh, let's start off with uh, what I think a lot of people might not be aware of, uh, your computer science background. Yes. Uh, tell about some of your previous life, especially around game design. I think people... Um, well, it's interesting because um, I actually started writing... Uh, I was writing fan fiction as a hobby while I was working on my computer science degree and working as a programmer. Um, and I was actually... Um, I was actually in the middle of a PhD. I'd finished the fun part, which was taking the classes and doing coding projects, and I was staring at a very large pile of reading and papers um, and having to write my dissertation. 
and I got an offer to go work on uh, Neverwinter Nights, Shadows of Undern Tide, which uh, was just incredibly fun. Um, but and, and I actually got to do some design work on the game as well and really enjoyed the writing of it. And afterwards, after that was done, I was sort of thinking about, do I go back to school? Do I do, just go get a programming job? Sadly, computer game jobs not were not actually very thick on the ground in New York City at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I actually thought, why don't I sit down and try and write a novel? Uh, and I wrote the first Temeraire. Uh, it might have been influenced by, I will not name the company, but I went for an interview at a tech company and spent six hours interviewing there wow. with, yeah. I think, eight people. And it was, there were ads involved, ad serving involved, and I sort of thought, do I really want to be writing software to deliver ads on the internet? No, I want to be writing about dragons in the Napoleonic War. Yes! <laughs> that is a perfectly reasonable decision to come to. Although, I, a, a frightening one, I guess, in a way, because it's, it's you're going to get paid if you take the job doing advertising. It may be soul-sucking, but, you know, it's going to bring in a paycheck. It's risky to go off and say, no, I want to write a book. Well, I was very, for, I my, my spouse supported me. Um, for the first until we sold Temeraire, and um, and now actually that I write books full time, I code in my spare time for Do fun. You really? yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. I write I write um, code for the Ao3. Okay. Of our own. And uh, that's that's what I do for fun now. So I sort of flipped. You just flip flopped it. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I already think you're such a badass. And then to think that you went from one such a, a heavily male-dominated industry like game design, like programming, and then also then to go into another very male-dominated industry, which is genre fiction. Um, that's that's pretty cool. It was, you know, I it's just my passions, and I feel like that's I've been lucky to be able to share them. So what is it about dragons that's so compelling for you? Because dragons are, as everyone knows, kind of like I'm obsessed with dragons also. And so like, what is it about them for you that made you want to make them the focus of, of your work for so long? I guess I just, I, who does not love dragons? Right? I mean, right? Am I right? Dragons, yeah. <laughs> The man stood up to take a picture. For a minute, I thought he was going to be, I don't like dragons. (laughs) I'm the one person. (laughs) I'm the one. And I guess I feel like I I actually have been thinking about the Pern books um, because I'm writing the introduction for Dragon Singer, which is going to be uh, reissued. Oh, wow. And I've just been thinking about how those books, I read them for the first time when I was about 10, and how that just really, that concept of being on a dragon, of riding on a dragon, and having that kind of partnership, really just sort of grabs hold of your imagination and your heart. And I feel that that's just that the idea of soaring through the air, that kind of power fantasy. And I loved the idea of taking that and then also mashing it up with the complexities um, and the humor of sort of the Jane Austen type mm-hmm. of relationship. Um, and the comedy of manners. Well, so why the Napoleonic Wars? Because it seems like you know you're adding an extra level of complexity by doing a an alt history story as well. On top of things, it seems like you could go total fantasy and make it its own world, and then you don't have to follow any rules. But instead, you're kind of following a a, a set of historical events that you're now building onto. Um, why did you go that route? I guess I really think that um, there are various answers I can give to this question. The one thing is I think the Napoleonic Wars are a really cool time period to use dragons in because it's before you have a kind of mechanized, industrialized army and army and technology, but it's the technology is far enough advanced that 
humans can compete with dragons. Mm. Um, a dragon against a brace of cannon is very different than a dragon against, you know, a castle of armed knights, at least the kinds of dragons that I have. Mm -hmm. And so that makes the dragons a, a powerful but not decisive force. And that, in a way, lets me stay within sort of the, the confines of the Napoleonic Wars. And I actually like the constraint of being within history. Um, because I feel like that adds a certain level of depth. I'm talking with my hands here, which is instinctive, and I realize that the podcast audience can't It's okay. See it. We do it all the time. I flail about wildly constantly. It's fine. They can hear it. Right. They can hear your they hands. They can hear my hands. hands. Um, Interpretive depth. Have you ever thought about, maybe not with Temerer particularly, but telling a dragon story in another time period, either like medieval or going forward to World War One or anything like that? Um, I have actually written some short stories in the Temerer universe, um, but in fact, uh, this new book, Uprooted, uh, that I've written, actually started as my decision that I was going to write a book about a completely different kind of dragon. Just, you know, I sat down to write the first paragraph was going to be, there was going to be a dragon in this book, and it was not going to be... Not Temerer. Not Temerer. It was going to be a different kind of dragon, um, and I think it's quite a different dragon. So is, there, is there anything you can tell us about the book yet? Um, I, there's actually uh, excerpt online, and um, it's inspired by Polish fairy tales that I grew up hearing from my mom. And it's set in a, not a historical fantasy, because it's not set actually in Poland, but it's inspired by Renaissance Poland. I'm really curious to know how the dragon is different now, but I don't also don't want to spoil the book for myself or for anyone else. But yeah, I, okay, it's, I, can read the, I can read the first paragraph and you oh, guys. Oh, please do. Yeah. Our There's dragon doesn't eat the girls he takes, no matter what stories they tell outside our valley. We hear them sometimes from travelers passing through. They talk as though we were doing human sacrifice and he were a real dragon. Of course, that's not true. He may be a wizard and immortal. But he's still a man, and our fathers would band together and kill him if he wanted to eat one of us every ten years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hungry dragon. Yeah. Uh, so we read that the, a Temerare series has been optioned. Uh, is there what? What can you tell us about that? Absolutely nothing. I mean, yeah. I can tell you that the series has been optioned by Peter Jackson. That's got to be a dream come true. It was. It was amazing. Um, Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things, we actually, um, he optioned it before the book had been published. What? And uh, we just got in touch with him through my agent, and um, he, and so I couldn't tell anyone about it, and nobody would have understood, because it would have been this book that nobody had ever heard of, mm -hmm. but so we, um, and essentially at this point it's just, you know, optioning is only the first step in a very, yes. very long and tangled process. And as you can imagine, he's been a little busy lately. So it, it's really the, one of those things where he's you can't... He's got other dragons to deal with yeah. <laughs> recently, yeah. You can't... I mean, basically, it's just whatever else, whatever happens, if the movie ever gets made or not, it's still so exciting to me, just as a fangirl, that he wanted to. And yeah. so that's, that alone is... And he, he heard about it 
before publishing? Yeah, how does uh, that work? Through the publisher, I guess? or um, My agent your, your uh, has, you know, it's one of these complicated things where it went through like five different people. And, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, dragons? Tell me more. <laughs> now, I know you can't probably Presumably. can't talk about this too much, but we, we know that you're a fan of Lord of the Rings. And so with the work that he's done on, on that project, do you feel more excited by his potential oh, working with it? I mean, there's... You know, if somebody had, if so, if somebody comes to you, if you write a book and someone's like, all right, what's your imaginary, what's your imaginary fan casting for the movie? I didn't actually have a mental casting for the characters, and still don't. But I absolutely, you know, if somebody had said, I would have been, well, actually, I don't have a mental casting for the characters, but wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Peter Jackson directed? Yeah. And then I got the call and. I sort of didn't quite believe it at right, first. Right. You know, you're sort of like, no. And then you run around the room screaming. Screaming with your head. So, so who do you think at this point would play would play Temeraire? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I didn't funny. get the laughs I, I was hoping for because he's a dragon. People are like, there's like, like oh. who would voice him? Yeah, yeah Veronica, like, good question. No, I mean, like, who would actually be the dragon? I mean, would it be derivative to do Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch again? Or would you want to do no, he doesn't have that kind of voice. Yeah, no, smoke, smoke is too mean. Yeah. yeah. Who, who would win in a fight <laughs> between Temer and Smaug? I think Temer is smarter. Somebody, um, there was an online site that did a chart of like the relative that. dragon sizes. I can't remember which. I know that there was like Ancalagon the Black was sort of this, yeah. this terrifying thing at the end, and you're sort of looking at it being like, wait, is that actually physically possible no it's a dragon so. <laughs> spoiler alert no. i don't remember i don't actually Short remember which, where temeraire was on the chart uh so will super villains be on the final yes good to know that's all i have so that's a graphic novel you've worked yes, on yes exactly um with the uh, with Chan Li, who's a fantastic illustrator and i've also written a short story in that universe which I really love. I just love superheroes and playing with them is a lot of fun. So that was kind of my my little fun project. Nice. And how is that process different from, I mean, obviously going into a novel, uh, well, we don't really know actually what your process is for going into a novel. Uh, It seemed like when you were talking about the new book that you kind of went into it just having a very basic idea of what you wanted to do and what you wanted to have in it. Uh, Do you typically go into your books or something like Temeraire when you first wrote it, what was it, back in 2005, 2006? 2004. 2004 was when you started writing. Do you go in with a total idea of what you want to do, or do you kind of just let the story tell itself? Usually, it varies quite a lot for each book. With the Temeraire series at this point, um, I pretty much know already what's what's to come. I knew I, I knew in a very broad stroke sense what I where I was going by. I think the midpoint mm-hmm. of book five, and then by the end of book. Each time I write a new book, I find out more about what's going to happen in the next one. And now I actually, I actually wrote an outline for book nine. And then, as I sat down to start writing it, I realized no, I have to throw out the whole outline and do it all over again. But a lot of the same things remained. But Temeraire is different because it's been going so long, and I know the characters now. When I sit down to write something new which actually happened to me yesterday. And I very frequently, I start with one image, one idea. In this case, it was the dragon who wasn't an actual dragon. Mm-hmm. And what, and then various other things sort of agglomerate onto it. So for instance, the Polish fairy tales caught onto it. And then I knew 
after a little while of writing, I knew what time period it was set in, and I got to know the main characters, and then the story sort of formed itself. Gotcha. When you say you, you did that yesterday, did you start a new story yesterday? Yeah, I started oh, a new book great. yesterday, literally. <laughs> and in fact, I was, I was, it's one of those things where I posted on Twitter actually like, oh, flow, how I love you. Because when flow happens with writing, for me, that's just, it's the best magic there is. And then I was like, wait, I'm at a con. I guess I have to go get ready for panels <laughs> instead of holding up in my hotel room writing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That, I feel bad now. Yeah. <laughs> no, just go write. Go write. Yeah, it's going to it's going to get done. Yeah, it's yeah, but I know what you mean about like when you get in the groove for something like that, it's hard to hard to get it's hard to want to put it aside cuz you're not sure you'll get it back, even though you will. In this you case, know. I you know, at, there's certain stories now that fear is a fear that I've lost over the years. Mm-hmm. Um not actually so much because I've Having written Temeraire has convinced me now, I believe, as I did not believe when I wrote the first one, that I would actually finish the novel. You know, that there's a kind of anxiety, for those of you who are writing or trying to write novels, that once you prove to yourself you can actually finish a novel, it's extremely freeing. And now, at this point, you know, when I was writing the first one, I literally would not stop for anything. I I was writing 14 hours a day because I was terrified. It was the longest thing I'd ever tried to write, Mm -hmm. and I just had to go straight on to the end. But now I no longer feel that fear about not finishing, and I don't feel the fear about losing the flow if it's something that I feel is really good. Um, It's A friend of mine calls it the crack of the bat, you know, when you know that you just hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. And when I have a story, a lot of times I sit down and I start noodling something, and I'm like, eh. And that I sort of put aside. But sometimes you really feel that sort of... Yeah. You know, I have to say it is both terrifying and really reassuring that writers like you who have done an incredible book like His Majesty's Dragon on your first novel and, you know, even someone like Anne Leckie doing Ancillary Justice and won all the awards on her first novel. Like, it's like, oh, great, these people, you know, they wrote their first novel. It turned out great. I could do that. And then it's like, oh, but they must be, like, super brilliant to make that work. You know, like, it gets scary because you're like, how could you possibly, like, do something like that on your first go? It's incredible. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, it was not my first go as writing. Mm -hmm. I've been writing for 10 years. You know, I've just been writing fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And I never tried to publish any of it, obviously, because it was fan fiction. But but it's not like it... You should publish it now. (laughs) that would be awesome. No, you know, the thing is, fan fiction, I love actually the fan fiction gift economy and that sort of the freedom of not having to worry about how long something is. If something's not going to be like 100,000 words or longer, it doesn't kind of commercially make sense. Um, I can write a short story just for fun, but for the most part, you know, with fan fiction, if it's something that I feel like writing, I just toss it off, throw it on, I don't worry about anything and don't have a publishing process to go through. Great. What were the universes that you wrote in? That was my uh, question. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, no, no. I'm glad sorry. you asked. I think I've got, I've got 400 fanfic stories. I've written in, I think, 50 fandoms. Oh my gosh. So I've written in a lot. Any? Anyway, what's What's your top top three? Oh, my top three. Um, I, uh, I'd have to actually look at my page on the AO3. I think the top one was actually um, <laughs> American Idol RPF. Um, and then uh, Supernatural, I wrote a ton in. Um, and then I just wrote a bunch in Person of Interest fandom before I moved on from that. And right now I'm writing Captain America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Do you want to jump to the forums? Yeah, uh, Joanna wrote us a question on the forum. Are we likely to see stories in the same universe centered on characters other than Lawrence and Temeraire, humans and dragons both, I hope, she writes. Uh, Absolutely. I am going to be putting together, among other things, a fanfic, a fanfic, a fan art inspired book, hopefully with Subterranean Press, where a lot of fan artists submitted art to a contest and I brilliantly held this contest just before the birth of my child, uh, who is now three and a half. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that sort of cut into my writing time. Um, You're just now coming up for air as well. Yeah, and basically I finally decided I was just going to have to finish the Terror series itself. Um, but I have worked, the, the sort of anchor story of that collection is going to be a uh, retelling of Pride and Prejudice in the Temeraire universe. So cool. Which is just being like crazy amounts of fun to write but I'm going to be writing stories for that collection some of them are going to be set in other times in other places there's one a couple of artists did fantastic uh, piece of art of um, Famulan as a dragon rider oh. um, and so I'm going to actually try and 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 write a filk of the of the original poem oh, cool. she is one of us people yeah. she is like 100 percent one oh, of yes. us i love it you belong at dragon con as yeah yes definitely uh terp kristen says uh what's your take on audiobooks are you happy with the way that simon vance has done the narrations absolutely i mean it, it's so nice i myself don't have a commute and so i and i can't actually i don't have a place to listen to audiobooks myself so i've only listened to pieces but it's just, it's so many people who do listen to them tell me that they've come to the books through his narration. And he's just such a great artist. And it also is just, I mean, I, I'm sure many of you who are actually book collectors also feel the pain of having different covers for, you know, they change the covers midstream when you're writing a long series. And so they're not consistent. And it's so nice to have the consistent voice mm-hmm. for the audiobooks. And I'm just, I'm so delighted. I'm, I'm not at all surprised that he brings people to the series because he's got a legion of fans all his own. I mean, I myself have picked, like, actually picked what to read next based on what he has narrated on Audible. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm, I, I haven't listened to the audiobooks, actually. I read them all in, in book form, but it definitely seems like it would be a, a good way to go back and, and re-listen. I did, we just did that with uh, Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, actually, which I had read in print and now going back and listening to an audible to get those different nuances i think right because it's like getting to read next to a friend yeah it's getting to have a friend read it to you yeah we we have a a small vocal group in our in our book club that that contest the value sometimes of an audiobook over print and i don't think they're necessarily exactly equivalent uh, you, there are certain th- advantages to reading in print because you can scan and go back and, and, and reread a line or whatever. Uh, but I think those nuances of inflection and being able to hear the voices and know who's talking immediately because of the change uh, definitely gives you gives you a different experience, and it's just as valid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Trike wrote in and said, "How many hours a day or week do you write?" It varies. Uh, well, these days, actually, my schedules become much more fixed. I have childcare for a certain amount of time each day, usually from 8.30 to 4.30. And so in that period is when I have to do most of my writing. And then, and then in the evenings, frequently, I'm writing for fun. Mm-hmm. I'm writing fanfic or something else, noodling. And that's really 
but it's my my own actual what I what I would be doing if I had absolutely no constraints would be writing 12 hours a day. Yeah. Do you feel like writing something different like fanfic kind of gives your brain a rest and lets you refresh yourself in a way for for continuing on with your own fiction? Absolutely. Um, writing fanfic is, gives me a break. Um, making fan vids, which is something else that I like to do, is a mental break. Um, looking at, you know, just sort of moving from one art form to another, mm-hmm. I find is really interesting. And I do, you know, working on vids, editing video, and thinking about the composition um, and listening to music, those kinds of things all actually feed back in. And very frequently that I find that I've made a what I feel like is a leap in my technical ability as a writer having taken a break and done something else. I think a a lot of writers struggle against the new way of doing things. And I hear, I've heard other authors say things like, um, you know, writing is a full-time job and and you need to take breaks from it and and all of that. And I don't think what you're saying in any way disagrees with that. But what I'm hearing from you is something I hear more from people involved in internet culture, like podcasters, which is what I am, uh, whereas they're good at one thing and they do that but that's not the only thing they do and they like to dabble in, in like you say video and and ha- hearing a writer say when i take a break from my writing i do other writing uh it's not it's not something common it's just it's a different kind of writing um it's a different you know commercial writing is is work and there are you know there's a lot of promotional work that you have to do there's a lot of um it, you have to deal with editors you have to think about Things like the cover, you have to think about all sorts of aspects that you don't so much have to think about. And you obviously have to think about the sales um, in a way that can, if you let it, really kind of suck the joy out of writing. So in fact, for me, going back to pure non-commercial writing, um, that's all about just connecting with fellow fans. And that's the other piece, which is you know, in the fan universe for my own work, um, inevitably, there's like a weird hierarchy thing that goes on because I can say, well, no, Tamara would not do that. And I can say Tamara would not. <laughs> but I like actually the the sort of the author is dead theory um, of of the participation on, on the fanish level. Gotcha. And, and that community actually, that spirit is what makes me want to write in the first place. Mm-hmm. Being, feeling joyful about something and wanting to share it. And that's that's sort of where I come from. Yeah. All right, so I think we want to open up some questions to the audience. Do we have a, a microphone, or should people just come up? Mike, this microphone mic- is mic- right there. Right there, okay. So just, yeah, raise your hand, or maybe we should make a line. It's up to whatever you guys think is more efficient. It's always We always need one person to uh, to be the first yeah, to jump Yeah, don't be up. scared. All so right, my go. man. Thank you. Fan of MC Allergy right here. Um, how well, uh, how do you combat uh, writer's block and I mean how often do you get it as far as like writing the series is concerned uh, so writer's block I don't really get writer's block what I do frequently get is distracted and uh, the way I combat the distraction is by putting tumblr.com into stay focused <laughs> on, my bl- on my browser and literally locking myself out of it because sadly Tumblr is just an evil, evil, evil time I think we all have that site on the internet that's just like your go-to like yeah. this is going to kill at least two hours of my time no matter what I do Yes, and generally I find that that's 
something like that is what I do if I don't have flow going. And the other piece that I try to do to combat writer's block is the Pomodoro technique, which I don't know if anybody knows that. It's, um, it's a technique that basically is you work for 25 minutes and you take a break for five and you do that four times and then you take a longer break. Hmm. And it's, if anybody knows, uh, you know, Unfuck Your Habitat, they suggest doing 2010s for cleaning your apartment. You know, you work for 20 minutes cleaning, take 10 minutes off to do just something fun. And if I'm not, if I'm struggling with flow, that frequently, just that discipline kind of usually gets me into a place where I have, where I have it moving. Um, In the overall universe with Temeraire, would they ever reach a point where dragons would not be used for war, kind of like with horses in modern day, where horses stop being used in war because, you know, a machine gun just wipes them out. Would it ever get to a point where dragons would say be used like soft horses and taken to shows and used and things like that? It's an interesting question. I actually show dragons. I yes, like that. that would be very fun. <laughs> I actually really like the idea of there being like a bunch of dragons who do that kind of show competition. It could already exist. Yeah, right, yeah. right not. Um, I don't think so because obviously dragons are intelligent and dragons like to fight where horses really don't. Um, And I think that what you'd be able to do is uh, get dragons, you'd armor dragons. In fact, I feel like that's probably some, the direction the Temerary universe might move into is more a kind of, uh, you know, cyborgification of dragons. Um, Because I think that probably the first step would be, you know, how do you build armor that can protect a dragon? How can you mount weapons on a dragon? And because you still have the advantage of, like, so much physical power, you know, why, obviously, like, even now in the armed forces, you still want generally larger, stronger people doing it. Um, And, but then, obviously, there would be different jobs that I think dragons could do, probably, to some respect, better than people. Um, I think, for instance, dragons have a better sense of three-dimensional movement. So, did you guys hear that? Cyborg dragon. It's, it's Lem's big moment. So we Who's have to say he's not unstuck in time. We, in we have a pet cyborg. Well, I can't call him a pet, really. No, he's, he's like, pet, no, no, he would not be happy to hear that. But he's half cyborg, half awesome. regular dragon. His name is Lem. It's Lem. a long. It's a long is story. Is it after Stanislav? Lem? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, when, you, <laughs> when you were talking, it made me think of uh, the fact that. You know, you're saying dragons are intelligent, so they wouldn't be treated like dumb animals. But what people have done, as as war has become more mechanized, is we we see the rise in popularity of sports. Are there any dragon I'm sports? I'm sure they would come up with some. Yeah. Yeah. Like dragon. polo, polo, but with dragons. I was thinking <laughs> rugby. Rugby with dragons. Dragon rugby. Dragon bowling. Yes. <laughs> with like several holes in a very large bowl. All right. Next question. Hey, um, what I would, if you already hinted at this a little bit, but I always like to ask authors what sort of authors and genres they like to read outside of the genre that they write in. So outside of the genre you write outside in, what else genre, do you read? You know, yeah. I actually am a huge fantasy and science fiction reader. That actually... Uh, you know, something that I find that I really need in almost all of my all the media that I consume, whether books or TV or film, is the kind of sense of wonder and exploration and world building. 
and most frequently you get that sometimes you get it in historical stuff um, but a lot of times I find what I I find what I want from books in fantasy and science fiction. So I actually don't, I mean, I do read outside of my genre sometimes, but I really love science, fantasy and science fiction. And I, what I'm reading that's not in the genre is actually a ton of history. You know, mm. I'm reading a ton of books about the Napoleonic Wars, about history of different countries that are in the same time period, um, different parts of the world. And that's a lot of research. I don't think of it as reading in quite the same way as I do the sort of immersive aspect. Okay, we have another question. Um, a lot of authors that I've met here have talked about how even though they've gotten on bestseller lists and they've sold tons and tons of books, they still have a day job and it's not as financially uh, <laughs> rewarding as one might think. But you're saying that you're able to write eight hours a day, so are you making enough money that you can actually live off of this? Uh, yes, I mean, I'm, I am writing full-time. I do have a spouse who, um, who also works, and so, you know, together, that obviously makes it a lot easier. Um, and that's... But uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I'm I'm writing full time, and I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And you know, if at some point I wasn't able to do that, I would probably go back to coding professionally, and write for fun. Okay. Another question? <laughs> Surprise! It's you. Uh, you had mentioned writing stories in the universe you've created with new character sets. You also mentioned. Uh, the Pern universe. Have you considered jumping forward to a future time and writing a new universe many hundreds of years in the future where we might see those cyborg dragons or something along those lines? I have, and I'm definitely going to be writing. I, I actually have written a short story called In Favor with Our Stars, which is actually, it's not a jump forward. It's an AU, space AU fan fiction of Temeraire. But it's mine, so I get to publish it. So, yes. You are committed exactly. to fanfic. That's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> There's nothing fan fiction. I mean, I use fan fiction as a shorthand term, but mm -hmm. it's a, for a kind of spirit of remixing mm -hmm. and play that I think I, obviously exists in mainstream literary <laughs> fiction. You know, March, Wicked. All these yeah. books that are fan fiction. I was gonna, does it count as fan fiction if the author of the universe writes it, or is it just the fiction? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's sort of, but it, it, I wouldn't call it Temeraire canon, right? Uh, right. Okay. So you so get to decide that it's fanfic yeah. at that because point. Because it's Lawrence yeah. and Temeraire, and it's set, you know, in an era of space travel. Right. Gotcha. And they're on another planet. And, and how would you explain that otherwise? Yes. Yeah. And they've never met before, so it's ah, you're right. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Going back to the fan fiction thing that you mentioned earlier about you've written person of interest fan fiction, is this anywhere that we can actually read it? Because I would love to. <laughs> um, I write under the fan name Astolot. Astolot, like the Elaine, the maid of Astolot, which I took because Shalot was taken on a bunch of internet sites after I had used it on one. You know, mm. how many people? You know, so that annoying thing where mm. everybody moves to a new site. And you suddenly go to that site, and your name, your username, the one that is yours, damn it, is taken. <laughs> like those bastards took my user. Who is that person? I know. And you yeah. go to their page, and there are like five things on it, and you're like, err. I could have written circles around you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking more like Twitter, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Still applies. I guess. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yes. So my cool. stuff and my stuff is on the archive of our own. Nice. Next question. Over there in the middle. 
Nice shirt. We got a sword and laser shirt over here. Old school. Yeah, that's why I come here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Anne McCaffrey's Pern novels. Um, were, are there any other people who stand out as influences to you that have uh, that have helped inspire uh, the Temeraire series? It's Robin McKinley's um, the the Hero in the Crown and the Blue Sword are were really important books to me growing up. Um, I think uh, Patricia McKillop, Ursula Le Guin. These are these are sort of the writers of my heart. Tolkien, obviously, um, and I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, Patrick O'Brien was a much more recent influence. I only found him just actually just before I wrote the Temeraire books, and he was sort of the spark that made me go back to that period, to the Regency and Jane Austen and Georgette Heyer that I'm also a huge fan of. And who else? I guess I love Rex Stout, his Nero Wolf books, which are mystery but just a different kind of still have has that kind of sort of vanish zing to it. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle. I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. me too. too. (laughs) Got another question? uh, Yeah, just Hi, I'm a huge fan of the books. I I love the books. Um, My question for you is this. Do you have an intended plan for how you want to finish everything, or are you just going to let it go in its own direction? I, I feel like the Temer series ends with the end of the Napoleonic Wars. That's, that's the kind of arc. I mean, I feel that there are many things that have started in the books that we don't see, that aren't going to be neatly tied off with a bow, because life doesn't get neatly tied off with a bow. And there are many characters who will continue on past the end of the books, I'm not going to kill everybody. It's not going to be rocks while everyone <laughs> dies. Um, but I do think that there are certain things that I want to end at the end of the book, and I've known how I kind of wanted to end it for a while. It'd be kind of funny if Naomi Novik goes grimdark on us. <laughs> yeah, just at, the no. very, just at the end of the very last the book. You're like, what? Yeah. Actually, there was, this, uh, there, was, um, there was this interesting conversation on Twitter just started the other day by Gail Simone where she, my themes are and she was asking writers to tweet what they thought their themes were mm-hmm. and i actually said that one of my themes is optimism and i think that's absolutely true i am i'm the opposite of grimdark i get very impatient with grimdark mm-hmm. so. nice. yeah it makes sense coming out of the napoleonic age it was there was a lot of optimism. it was grimdark enough no well like during yeah, the I war mean, there's definitely all sorts of uh, that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen right mm-hmm. obviously many i i have killed many a character in my books and had many people sad about some of those characters but uh, and it's a book about war and in war people do die mm-hmm. but i think that's a different thing from a kind of spirit of optimism in general where it's not everything is not going to be terrible and bleak and it's not a single person against the world kind of thing it's i want to see i'm interested in seeing cooperation and collaboration and i feel that that's that's what actually needs to try any other questions keep them coming i have a i have a question while you find the next person so put your hands up uh no seriously put your hands up I, when you're talking about earlier about being sort of an author coder still, uh, and you mentioned remix culture, have you ever thought about coding a story, or or somehow combining those those two? I have. Um, I've actually, but the thing is, I feel like if I was going to do that, I'd actually go ahead and build a game 
mm-hmm. um, and I have thought about doing that. It's just honestly the time commitment to sit down and do it, and I can, and I've actually kind of got a little bit addicted to the to sort of the freedom of the novel, you know, especially the being able to sort of decide and not have to worry about is this actually accomplishable mm-hmm. technically, and so. But I definitely feel like I can imagine writing some interactive fiction. Um, building an actual game. Text Scripting adventures. Game. I love oh, text adventures cool. so much. Oh, Infocom. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, I've worked, I actually built and uh, coded and played on Mushes online. Oh, nice. Yes, any of you yeah. old school. Like we are, mushes. yeah, we are yeah. at least. Who's got our next question? Uh, I was wondering, what is your environment like when you write? Like, do you sit on a couch or a desk, or what's that like? I, I have a desk and a and a I am I am on the Mac side of the force, um, so I largely write on just a you know desktop Mac and uh, and I also have a Mac Air that I travel with, um, and I will sometimes write on my iPhone with documents to go, which I love because hmm. I have everything everything in Dropbox. Dropbox saves my life because I have multiple computers that I have to work on because sometimes I go home and sometimes I have an office that I go to and so being able to move from space to space. But you, but you back up anyway too, right? You back up? Well, I have PackRat and okay. I have backups on all three computers. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get very nervous when people say they only have it in one place. But well, she's okay. got Dropbox so it's drop, synced, well, synced across multiple I've heard, computers. But I've heard scary things about drop. That, that has happened that, to Ryan. That makes a local and a... Yeah. I've had accidents yeah. with Dropbox sure, where, sure. that are terrifying where everything just suddenly seems to disappear and it looks like your Dropbox has been deleted but it's just a it, I'm sorry it's just a giant pain in the butt and you yeah. have to go through and restore yeah. things yeah. Of it's all there we're slipping into a different topic of a podcast. I know because the tech, the tech nerds too are I'm like easily, I'm easily distracted by talking about tech me too yeah has anybody too. seen pictures of the new iPhone screen being stabbed with a knife oh yeah <laughs> by, by Marcus yeah yeah nice go ahead I uh, I particularly enjoy the uh, the series. I kind of stumbled onto it a little while back, but one thing I really like about it is how all of the different cultures, basically like every, dragons have a different re- sort of uh, job role in every society. And I was just wondering how you kind of came up with that ideas for, say in South America, like okay, well I own the dragons. I own these people, and so and that sort that sort of thing. Like did you just look at it like Okay, here's their society. Now, how would the introduction of dragons change that? Was that sort of what you did? Absolutely. I basically knew sort of by the second book in the series that I wanted that I wanted relationships between people and dragons to be radically different in different cultures where there was a relationship. Some some cultures there isn't one. There are some countries where there's where dragons and people basically live completely independently of one another. But in the societies where dragons have formed relationships, I wanted them to all be distinct. And what I generally do when I'm building that kind of relationship is frequently I I have one element, which is I'd like it to be distinct from the other relationships. And then the other piece is looking at that society, at that culture, thinking about what's going on in that culture at that time. So for instance, with the Inca, um, of course at this time, a large number of the of the human population had died due to pandemics because of lacking disease resistance to European diseases that were brought over. 
And as a result, I thought, you know, what, how would dragons who, my idea was that before the introduction of those diseases, there was a society where dragons essentially were part of a family unit and derived their honor and status from that family unit and how well that family unit was doing and how well all their people were doing. And then what happened is, okay, so the people suddenly start dying. What does that do to the dragons whose sense of self-worth is bound up in protecting their their human family? And that's basically where, how I evolved the relationship that the dragons become much more anxious and much more possessive and protective of their people. And... At the same time, you know, so other other cultures, I feel like that's quite interesting. That's more fun for me as a writer to discover what dragons and people, how dragons and people interact in the, each different society. Do you intentionally model it on any relationships we have with animals now? Like, there's, I, I've read things recently how like cats see us as the pets essentially. <laughs> um, do, Staff. Do you do you do you research that, or you just? sort of feel it out. I don't really research th- that specifically. I feel like there's definitely an element of it. I think that, you know, what people s- when people see, I've had people tell me that they see that kind of relationship, that they think of Temeraire as having that kind of, rela- Temeraire and Lawrence's relationship and they map it, um, or they map other dragon-human relationships. And I think that what that's getting at is you know, how do you form a bond? How do you form a relationship, um, one with love, with something, a creature so far removed from you that thinks in a completely alien way and how you sort of assign meaning to that and, and how you think that think creature assigns meaning to what you do? You know, like, what the heck does my cat think about me going out of the house every day um, and then coming back at the same time? And what does the cat think I'm doing, right? And I think that that, uh, that kind of attempt to bridge a gulf is what, we're, is what people are reacting to. And I think that's, that's absolutely real. That's something that I am trying to do in the books is make the dragons feel like, an alien, like a different species. Mm-hmm. Do you have pets? I do not, sadly. I'm super allergic. Oh, I grew up, I grew up with a cat, okay. but then, like, allergies. But I have a three-and-a-half-year-old now. I think, you, <laughs> I think you should tell people that if you can't have a dragon, you just won't have any pets. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Tinier dragon, maybe, yeah. would be a good pet. Any other questions? Great. Would you ever dabble in... Uh, writing in any other genre whether it's like comedy or like a murder mystery after the series is over I feel like I I actually have thought about writing sort of science fictional fantasy outright comedy um, yes I think that I don't know I mean I, whenever I try to write something you know my, the way that I frequently think is you know so this is the Napoleonic Wars wouldn't it be more awesome with dragons and so anytime I'm thinking of something sort of mundane some part of my head is always like, but you know what? It would just be that much more awesome if only there was like magic, or if there was, you know, fairies or elves or something. Uh, in fact, the new book that I that I started writing here is basically a search and rescue team parachuting into Elfland. <laughs> and you know, but that's. But it's I want to ask you so many questions about that. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's amazing. That's which is good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any more questions? Just flag us down. Raise your hand. 
Uh, we're going to be giving away a copy of your next book. Yes. This one's coming it. out in June 2015. Yep. Tell us a little bit about it. And it is, as I mentioned, there's a short story, a Polish fairy tale called Agnieszka Skradek Nieba, which means Agnieszka, Peace of the Sky. And my mother used to read this fairy tale to me when I was very small. And it's not translated into English as far as I know. And it's about this young girl who goes into a wood, an enchanted, terrible wood near her home, and manages to defeat the evil wizard who has enchanted it. Mm. And it really resonated with me, the, um, the, the power and the heroism of her courage. And the sort of key line of that story is the people on the other side of the wood are just like us. And it's a story, it's interesting because in many ways this also picked up a lot of other fairy tale influences. Um, Beauty and the Beast is a big influence here. Um, but there are also sort of little cameos, little touches from various fairy tales. But then it became a much more, it's not a fairy tale novel exactly. It's a, it's a fantasy universe. I also, I love Guy Gabriel Kay. And I was inspired by some of the ways that he takes historical places and leaves them and keeps the sense of place. Like the lines of Alrasan, I think, is a good, great example of that. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love Song for Arban. That's mm-hmm. my that's my personal little. It caught me early. And but those the way that he takes a historical place and infuses it with fantasy and removes it a little bit, but still keeps a lot of the grounding mm-hmm. um, that. Uh, that and that's something that also inspired this and essentially so yes it's a story about um a story about Agnieszka it's great all right we're gonna give away a copy of this I, I have an idea oh you do because I have an idea too what's your idea well, well I've got two so. well I thought it'd be fun to do see if Naomi had a trivia question that we could pop out to the audience I don't want to put you on the spot but if there's something you can think of to ask the audience and if the fans can get it good idea oh. what was your idea that was my first idea oh. and then I was like what if she doesn't have one <laughs> or can't think of a good one or thinks of one too hard uh, but why don't we try that okay if, if, right. if you can think of if right. you think of a I'm question think, um, you think of a question my other idea which we could use for the other book uh, would be a title. So throw out titles of the show suggestion. Oh, titles for the show suggestion. Right. Okay. You know, like that's good too. Something. Something. We always have fun snappy, titles for the show. You know. Yeah. To to make the title of the show and then we just judge. I was just gonna do Dragon Con. We're at Dragon Con. Yeah. Again. So. Dragon Con. There's your bar. <laughs> if you, you can beat that, probably you do might better get than a book. That. Yeah. But I, I like the trivia idea better if you've got something. All right. Uh, uh, hmm. It can be I'm as gonna... easy or as hard as you want. All right. Um, all right. I'm sorry. I'm going to make it silly. What's the name of the Kozilek dragon in the Temeraire series? The Kozilek dragon. <laughs> oh, all right. We've got a hand up. What is the name? Is Kirka? Yes. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Two people benefit. That is awesome. All right, we had the correct I'm happy answer. I designed it for you too. After the yay. Um, so do you want to do you have another one, or should we do the title question? Do the title question. I okay. want to see what. Who's got Who's got title ideas? Anybody Anybody got one? We got a couple. All right. Just Just go to your nearest person. Yeah. How are we going to vote on that one though? 
called popular acclaim going on game design I was going to say tap tap temeraire tap tap temeraire <laughs> all right tap tap, tap, tap temeraire. temeraire I'll write these down you should that's good that's a good idea Tom <laughs> cyborg dragons cyborg dragons okay hey there's no bad ideas in the brainstorming say, right, session ahead. this is not a brainstorming session the dragon, the dragon has, has been, been conned. conned. All right, that's ripping off Night Attack, but we'll... Okay, yeah. Right. Justin's in the back. Does that rip off Night Attack too much? Yes! Okay, yes. <laughs> Justin Robert Young, the host of Night Attack, has ruled that rips off Night Attack too much. Uh, was there another one right here? Dragon Con, no, really, dragons. Dragon Con. Dragon Con, no, really, dragons. Okay. It's okay. actually... All right, all hand right. up in the air. It's a dragon complex. It's like Napoleon. The, the oh. dragon complex. That's... <laughs> Clever. Say it again. What has? It's a dragon. It's a dragon. Okay. Yeah, let's make sure I got it right. It's a dragon complex. Dra- should we say like dragonic complex? Would that make more? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> complex. I was wondering about that too. That's what you said. It's a dragon con. See, but if now if we fix that, we'll have to rip the book in half and give one to each of these. Yeah. Well, no, he. Originally, I thought that's what he said. You're, yeah. Okay, you're. He was just making sure we had the right title and didn't butcher it. All right. Uh, any others? Which I had. No, that's all right. All right, so going we've once, got... going twice. By popular acclaim, I think that was a great idea. Uh, cheer for Tap Tap Temeraire. <laughs> he was clapping real hard for his own. I love it. Come on. <laughs> like, I will will this. I will find winning. all of you later. <laughs> uh, clap for Cyborg Dragons. He didn't even clap for his own. <laughs> he gave up on his own idea. Uh, clap for... No, we can't do The Dragon Has Been Conned. It has that's, actually that's, been that's, disqualified. That's, that's just DQ'd. Yeah, right. DQ'd. Sorry. And it, it, clap for It's a Dragon Complex. Your right. winner. Congratulations. It's smart. It's about dragons, and it's a pun. These are all, like, my favorite things, and it's about Dragon Con, so it works on, like, ten different levels. And now we don't have to think of a title. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we have time for a few more questions uh, about anything that uh, hits you, so throw your arms up. You have questions for us, questions about Sword and Laser, more questions for Naomi. We've got one right over here, sir, right over here on the other side. Uh, just a few more minutes. Yeah. Does your uh, three-year-old have a favorite dragon? Mm. Uh, Stuffy from Doctor <laughs> Stuffins. Yes, we have. I, I have this amazing plush Temeraire that somebody on Facebook made oh. and sent to me, and he occasionally suffers the indignity of uh, of uh, having her put him down and saying, "Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup." <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't like subject you to a to a cease and desist. No, I think we'll be. I think we'll be okay. We'll, to, we'll just pay the we'll pay the mechanical performance royalty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, we got another one. Here. Cool. Uh, just how'd you get into programming, or what did you start with, or anything like that? So computer science, yay! <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the? Uh, how did you get into programming? How did I get into programming? Um, I actually started mushing. When I was in my senior year of college, and fortunately I had basically completed the requirements for my English degree, because otherwise I quite possibly would not have made it out on time, um, when I discovered basically mushing, which is an online text adventure. Um, basically you build a text-based role-playing environment and you play in it with other people. 
and you can write code, you can um, build environments and describe them, and I really got interested in doing that and quickly ran up against the limitations of, of what I could do without actual um, any kind of background in computer science. And I started studying it more and more and um, eventually went back to school full time for it. And that's, but uh, yeah. Awesome. When you code now, what kind of stuff do you do? Uh, Ruby on Rails, primarily, uh-huh. um, because it's for the archive of our own, which okay. is in Ruby on Rails. No. This is actually for Veronica. How is your cable service now? <laughs> it's a little inside baseball, but yes, uh, it is. We use. I don't know that it's that inside. That's true. It might be more popular than our show. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So if you don't know the story, Google uh, Comcast customer call from hell or something to that effect and or my name with Comcast and I'm sure you'll find it. Um, It's doing very well. We have a Stound cable now, which is a small local uh, Bay Area cable provider. We get faster upload speeds and we pay less. So suck it, Comcast. But I, but I just want you to explain. No. <laughs> but tell me why. <laughs> All right. All right. I think that about wraps it up. Let's give a big round of applause for Naomi Novik for joining us. A uh, couple, couple of pieces of bookkeeping for the Sword and Laser podcast and book club audience. Uh, we will wrap up Name of the Wind and kick off Stories of Your Life by Ted Chang next episode, uh, episode 189. On the 2nd, yeah. Uh, so join us if you, <laughs> if you want. Uh, and, of course, you can find Naomi Novik's website at naominovik.com. It's N-A-O-M-I-N-O-V-I-K.com. Uh, Blood of Tyrants, as she mentioned, came out mass market paperback July 29th. And Uprooted is uprooted. coming out June 30th, 2015. Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks again, Naomi. This is really pleasure. fun. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you. This is heaps of fun. And if you want to stay up to date on Sword and Laser, our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on Goodreads. You can follow us at, at swordandlaser or call and give us a voicemail at 4157sword6. We'll see you guys next time. Thank Bye. you. That was awesome. Naomi was so nice, so friendly, so fun to talk to. Um, that that was fantastic. So big thanks to her for joining us. Absolutely. It was the highlight of the weekend, I think. Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely was. And, and it was a weekend full of highlights because as I teased in the intro uh, in the beginning of the show, we won a Parsec Award, guys. Yes, thanks to everyone on the on the, the academy, the committee, whatever <laughs> the steering, it's called. The steering committee for yes. the Parsec Awards. Uh, for, for selecting us to win, uh, we were very flattered. Uh, and there was a lot of good competition, as there always is in the Parsecs. Mm-hmm. So um, it's nice to we can say award-winning podcast, Sword and Laser now. Pretty it's, cool. It's super fun. All right, well, let's jump into our um, our wrap-up of The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Um, we read that as our August pick this month. And uh, it was a reread for a lot of you guys out there, uh, ourselves included. And this time I did the audiobook. And Tom, was that uh, the second time you've done the audiobook or was that your yeah, first Yeah, I cheaped out, actually. Yeah, although I have the hardback, I guess mm-hmm. I could have done that. But I didn't want to pay for an ebook as well. 
so I just re- I just pulled the audiobook back down from the cloud uh, up there somewhere and and listened again. And I really like that. Yeah, I was, uh, if you guys remember correctly, um, if you guys remember correctly, uh, my brain is still so fried from Dragon Con. I I was going to say, we didn't properly explain Dragon Con to those of you, but that's like a nonstop party of people who like science fiction, fantasy, genre, science, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was amazing. It was super fun. But um, if you guys remember, uh, on our kickoff episode, I said I was listening to the audiobook and that I wasn't sure if I liked the narrator or not. Well, I had a total 360 on that. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I'm really glad I did it uh, audiobook this time around. Um, and it was cool, too, because I feel like I noticed a lot more on this reread than I did uh, reading it the first time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think one of your issues, or one of the things that we kind of talked about initially as well, were the issues of Kvothe being kind of like a Mary Sue or a Marty Stew. A bunch of people in the Goodreads brought that up. They said mm-hmm. he's a Marty Stew. Uh, and that really got stuck in my head because I'd never thought that on the first read through. Yeah. And so this other read through, I was like, is he? Is he? And frankly, I, I can't say too much of why I'm more convinced now than ever that he's not, mm-hmm. because I'm halfway through The Wise Man's Fear. And I don't want to spoil that for anybody who hasn't read it. Uh, but suffice to say that I don't even think Quoth is that unreliable of a narrator. Uh, he is telling the chronicler his story because he feels like this is his one chance to get it right. Uh, and there is a scene, mild spoiler here for The Wise Man's Fear, where he says as much. Now, you could say, well, of course he says that. That doesn't mean he believes it. But I, I really do think that this is not any more of an unreliable narrator than any person telling their story would be. So, but I don't think that's an excuse because, because Patrick Rothfuss said, well, yeah, he could be, he could be an unreliable narrator, of course. Um, but I don't think that's meant to be like, so don't believe anything he says. Yeah. Uh, I think the exaggerations are mild and understandable in the kind of exaggerations one would tell uh, about themselves in any sense. But I don't think it's, he never runs into a problem. I mean, for goodness sake, the guy has his entire family killed. Mm-hmm. Does that qual- Do you think that qualifies him as a, you know, cause shouldn't that disqualify him right out of the gate? No. Why would that disqualify I, him? Because a Marty Stu is like, I, I always win. Everything is great. I am the, I am the author and the hero and nothing bad ever happens to me. And I don't think that, I, I don't really think that's what a Marty Stu means for Mary right. Sue. I think it just means that they always, all the decisions they make, all the things they do are the best possible decision they could make in that scenario. And so then you would argue that the fact that he was the one who survived is, is what makes him. Perhaps, yeah. Um, I think the thing I, I noticed the most about this uh, time around was how much of a teenager he really was. How, you know, kind of arrogant he was in a lot of ways. And I don't mean this as a bad thing. Mm. I just mean it as a teenager thing. Like, teenagers always think they're kind of invincible. And so far up in in his life, like, even though he went through hell, he came out of it alive. Everything he did, he he was essentially invincible. Um, And he kind of goes into the university, I think, feeling that way, feeling that he's overcome so much and that he deserves to be there. And he does. But it gets him in trouble. It gets him in trouble with Ambrose. It gets him in trouble with the teachers um, because he's kind of cocky. He's got kind of an attitude about things. He he knows that he's good. And any smart teenager that knows they're good is going to act that way sometimes and, and get bit in the ass for it. Um, so that's I, I, I thought that was kind of fun, actually. Uh, it made me think of him less as a Marty Stew um, because he's kind of cocky about it. 
Right. He's it, it, it. You wouldn't want to paint yourself as being overly cocky, mm-hmm. right? You might paint yourself as being cocky, but at the same time, deservedly so, right? right. And I don't think that's the way Quoth is painted. Uh, I also, knowing what happens later, even just within the name of the wind, uh, was more impressed than ever at how carefully laid this story is. Uh, things that I never noticed before being foreshadowed uh, and then delivered upon uh, later. Even just simple things down to him running across the rooftops of Tarbian and then doing the same at the university as if it was second nature. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, oh, yeah, and I learned to run around on the rooftops. kind of kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I didn't love Denna as much as I remembered liking her. I don't know. I feel like his relationship with her was kind of frustrating for me in many ways because I think I kind of come at it from a um, from a Will and Sim perspective. <laughs> like, if you like her, you should just tell her, you dummy. And even up until the end of the book, the last chapter, he's like, well, she needs a friend. And, you know, I didn't want to be that person, that another suitor coming after her. But yeah. all signs had pointed to, you know, she was into it and she wanted him to make the move. And he didn't. And, you know, because of that, she goes off with other guys. She's like, OK, well, I guess this is the kind of relationship. I don't know. What did you think about their relationship? Yeah, let's let's talk about that, because uh, the first time I read this, I was really befuddled by that. Mm-hmm. I I did not understand why he either didn't fish or cut the bait. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, either finally pull the trigger and put it out there or just, you know, be like, yeah, we're just friends. But don't hang around, like you say, with Will and Sim. The other hand, that's what makes this such an amazing story. And so listening to it this second time through, I kind of felt like Denna is that that girl for an inexperienced person like Quoth, who he doesn't want to ruin. And, and that is a very typical like junior high love interest plot line, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to ruin it with this person because we're such good friends. And then because he sees her with other guys and she's so disdainful of them, he's like extra motivated to not be them. And the one mistake he sees them making over and over and again is professing their love, getting too close, getting pushy and scaring her away. And so he's, he would much rather live with in, in the friend zone than be them, make that mistake and drive them away. I'm not saying that that's what would happen, but I think that's what's, well, I think that's where his head's at. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Um, but I guess from a more, you know, uh, being adults and kind of having that perspective, it, it gets a little frustrating because you're like, oh, just, you know, suck it up. Put yourself out there. Life is yeah, too if, short. If, <laughs> <laughs> well, it frustrated me more the first time around for some reason. I don't know why. Mm. Uh, the second time I, I felt more like, no, I, I can totally see him doing that. And But the thing is, like, I mean, obviously the story gets short circuited if he professes his love and she dismisses him or accepts him and then you're like oh that that love story's over so you can't do it that way but isn't that kind of the the thing about this story that's so compelling is that that they're in this careful dance yeah yeah i guess so i don't know for me it's not Uh, what if you were denna you would have just told him to to bug off by now (laughs) 
uh, to me, that relationship is not the most interesting part of the story, I guess. I, yeah. You know, like it's I not- think it might. There are a bunch of people on the forums saying that it might become the most important part of the story, though. They're oh, like no, I absolutely think it will. Yeah, I think that is yeah. probably the crux of the whole story is Denna. I think that's, you know, I, I read The Wise Man's Fear and I just don't remember everything that happened to it in it. So I'm having trouble. Uh, but, you know, I think there's definitely a, a Chandrian connection there. Um, there's a Mr. Ash connection he, there. Right, right. Mr. Ash is definitely like, we need to find out who he is. Right. Uh, because he's up to no good. That, that, that's pretty obvious in the name of the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people were like, I think Quoth is a Chandrian, and I don't think he is one of the seven. No, I don't think so either. He might, yeah, people have speculated, you know, maybe he's part Fey. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's an Amir. Maybe he's, you know, something else. Um, you know, there were so many interesting topics of discussion about, you know, what's his relationship with Bast? Where does Bast come right, into this whole right. thing? Um, why is he hiding with him? Uh, you know, is is Ambrose king now? Is he the one, the, ki- the king that Gavoth kills? Um, you know, because Ambrose is in line for the throne. He's pretty far down. He's like 26th or something. Um, right. He is in line but for the throne. Something could happen. Yeah. So Totally. Uh, some legendary Gavoth-like character could come and kill the other 12 people accidentally. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely tons of unanswered questions. Um, you know, why are the scrailing like showing up in that little town? Why is both in the end? Yeah, what are they? Yeah. Where do they come? What's behind the uh, the door in the the university's library? Mm-hmm. Is that where the scrailing are? Who's Ori? It's like, like where full she... of scrailing, like a big closet. That like that would be a terrible. Oh yeah, closet. Ori is obviously some. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely that's your closet. Yeah, that's that's my closet. Um, so, you know, tons of tons of unanswered questions, uh, lots of stuff to for Rothfuss to wrap up in the next, you know, the final book uh, when it does come out. Um, and in the second book, like which uh, many of you have read, many of you haven't. Um, or, or if you're like me, you just don't remember anything that happened in it at this point, except uh, Florian and uh, scenes of that nature, which I remember very well. Um, I ju- by the way, not to get too spoilery mm-hmm. on the wise man's fear, but just covered the Fulurian years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how, if they're years or not, but uh, they weren't as long as it seems like. What do you mean? I think they just stand out because of the nature of the scenes. You feel like it was, do you, you, you feel like on your first read through, it lasted a lot longer than you remembered or you feel, or yeah. are you talking about close timeline? No, no, I'm saying like I remembered it taking up a lot larger section of the book than it actually does. Mm-hmm. I bet uh, Kvoth wishes it lasted longer. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's about no, sex. Oh. Oh, is that what you meant? It's a sex joke that I just right. made. It's about sex lasting longer. Yes. Which typically <laughs> is see. beneficial that for both parties. Funny. Right. That's why it's funny because it's about sex. It's about doing it. Or all. Let's just say all parties. All parties not, involved. Let's not, let's not box people in. I said, I did say, I said zero bo- to whatever. Okay. So you're talking, okay. I see what you're doing there. You're talking about orgies is what you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not talking about anything in particular. Oh, I'm just saying, you know, 
All right. Well, anything else you want to touch upon? I know I, I, I know this podcast is definitely running long um, for everyone, but they always say, talk about stuff as long as you want to talk about stuff. Um, so I, I, but I feel like we, we have never had things. someone, I don't think we've ever had someone complain that we went too long. Mm, that's true. Um, so another comment that they had in the forums was about Will and Sim, actually. And um, we threw all this wrap up to kind of together pretty quickly. So I didn't get a chance to source threads. So I'm actually just remembering things we talked about in the forum. So I apologize if you're not getting credit for your awesome forum post. Um, but I did remember a comment uh, from someone saying that Will and Sim felt too interchangeable when they were reading, that they were just kind of like the same character. And I think if you do the audiobook, that is not at all the case because the voices are so very different. And I think the voices uh, give a lot to the characters. Um, so I'm trying to remember if they seemed similar reading text. I don't feel like they did, but I suppose if you're just reading through and you're not really paying attention to who says what, it could maybe come off that way. So in the audiobook, they definitely sound different because they have different accents. Will has the sealedest accent, but even what they say to me, and I haven't read the books, so maybe I, I feel this way because of the accent, but mm-hmm. Will seems to sound like he's more down to earth, more practical, and the things Sim says strike me as sort of rosy, rose-colored glasses, a little naive maybe. He, yeah, he's more led, to me, he's more led by his emotions, and, yeah. and Will is more led by logic. So they're kind of like... These other two halves, like his moral, his moral compasses. Maybe they don't really exist. <gasps> oh, <laughs> interesting theory, Tom. <laughs> They're just his id and ego, and he yeah. is a super ego. Maybe that's kind of fun to think about. I don't Actually, think that's it, know, but I, it is a trope in writing to have two friends that are your id and ego. So I, I, I think that's probably on purpose. But I think they actually exist. Do you think this felt like a first novel to you? That was another popular no. comment. No, it didn't. Uh, when, when I read it the first time, it did not feel like a first novel. I, I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of novel that doesn't follow all the rules of, of literature, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, gonna, it's, it's trying to be a grand adventure. And so it's not like Ancillary Justice, you know, where it, where it really turns over the literary conventions. Like it uses a lot of literary conventions, but it uses them so well. And the language is so pretty. Uh, I don't know. It feels like it's a target for some people to hate for some reason. I think because it was so popular. I think. A, yeah. A part of it it's was the popular girl. Who's not like that the outsiders are taking pot shots at? Like the pretty, fun, popular girl that people are like, oh, I hate that bitch. And right. you're like, why? She's so nice. You're like, oh, I don't know. She just annoys me. But she's not shallow. And, you know, she's not just popular because of looks or, or connections. Mm-hmm. She's actually like around, you know, really good at sports and academics. But people still hate her. Anyway. She's really great to, to hang out with. I had brunch with her the other day. We just <laughs> talked and talked and talked. And like, I really feel like I got to know her. You know, I find that her silence is of three parts when I, I talk to her. I, I don't get it. Is that a reference? That's to the, the beginning of The Name of the Wind. I don't. Okay. Parts. You're right. You're right. God, you expect me to remember everything. You're like, Ugh, I'm not that perfect girl, Tom. 
<laughs> no, neither am I. I'm not that perfect girl. <laughs> I'm not that perfect girl. All right. Yeah. Well, we have, we have, uh, I apologize to the audience for our bad Skype connections. I don't know what's going on tonight. Yeah, uh, I think it got better here. Yeah, I it sounds better now, but we did have some trouble in the middle oh, there. Um, so apologies for that. Oh, and I wanted to um, congratulate Daniel for winning a signed copy of uh, Joe Abercrombie's Half a King. Um, so he got that by signing up for our newsletter, which you can do on our website at swordandlaser.com. Just look for the sign-up form on the right-hand side, or I believe we also, I made a link for it too on the Sword and Laser homepage. Hold on, let me awesome. take a look. Um, yeah, so if you go to newsletter, uh, swordandlaser.com slash infobeam, um, you can also sign up there. And um, Oh, and we have a brand new store up as well. So if you go yes. to swordandlaser.com uh, and then click on the store tab, um, you can find all the stuff we have for sale, including the anthology, the digital version of the anthology. We've got posters. We have a fantastic flask. It is a flask with a leather so wrap on the side that shows uh, the Sword and Laser logo and other cool stuff. It is phenomenal. Um, so you should definitely check that one out if you're interested. And uh, we also have all of our episodes, video and audio, um, on a USB drive with our logo, too. Almost all. Like Almost some all. Some of the more recent audio episodes might not be on there because we made it before we had made them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, up until like what, May, I think? Something maybe? like that. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Um, also, folks, if you go to this store, you can get the Sword and Laser Anthology ebook for a dollar less than anywhere else in the world. Hey, hey, hey. I'm just saying. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> So definitely check that out. And thanks to uh, David Michael and uh, Nicole Spag for helping us get the whole thing set up. You guys are awesome. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. If you want to leave a call, uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, the phone number is 4157-SWORD-6. And uh, we will be back uh, soon to kick off our, our book pick of September, which is what, Tom? It is Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chang. It's yeah. our first anthology, our first compilation, still from a single author. Very exciting. And you can pick that up uh, at your local library or on Amazon or wherever you'd like to get your reading done. Um, so thanks. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 